This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee after a two-day timeout to deal with a sinus infection, but the voice is back just in time for the special session. Lawmakers returned to Tallahassee Monday to vote on a new gaming compact with the Seminoles, but John Sawinski of No Casino says this goes way beyond the tribe. The compact, as proposed, would represent the biggest expansion of gambling in Florida history. I've seen at least one gambling analyst say that Florida would be rivaled only by um, Nevada and Macau, China, in terms of how much gambling would be going on in the marketplace. And I don't think that Florida wants to remake itself as the next Las Vegas or Macau. Sawinski says the compact will turn your smartphone into a mobile casino. And even if you support more gambling, he says the state is not getting a fair share. He's our guest today on the Sunrise Interview. The governor signs a bill that makes it legal to order booze for your takeout meal. It's another legacy of the COVID pandemic. What I did through uh, emergency order was waive state statute to allow those licenses to serve alcoholic beverages within their restaurants to also do it to go. So alcohol to go. Ron DeSantis and state lawmakers liked it so much they decided to make that change permanent. The governor says it's no big deal if Norwegian cruise ships steer clear of Florida because of a new state law that forbids them from requiring passengers to show proof of vaccination. This is um, you know, example of, uh, of, of kind of fake narratives. Um, and I can tell you cruise lines are ready, willing and able uh, to sail from the state of Florida. We are the number one uh, destination. The CDC has imposed vaccination requirements on all the cruise ships, so the governor is suing the feds in federal court. We'll also have your calendar of events and the story of a Florida man who bought so much gasoline, his Humvee went up in flames. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, May 14th. On this date in 1787, delegates gathered in Philadelphia to draft the U.S. Constitution. In 1944, a group of high-ranking German officers who wanted to end the war tried to assassinate Adolf Hitler with a bomb. He survived. The generals who conspired against him did not. In 1949, President Harry Truman signed a bill creating a rocket testing range at Cape Canaveral. And on this date in 2018, the U.S. Supreme Court struck down a law banning sports gambling in most states, setting the stage for next week's special session on gaming by the Florida legislature. The state health department reported more than 4,000 new cases of COVID Thursday and 50 additional fatalities. Our death toll has reached 36,648. More than 7,300,000 Floridians are now fully vaccinated, and the CDC has new guidance that says they can go without masks or social distancing, even indoors and in large groups. The new recommendations do not apply to airplanes or healthcare settings, but it's a huge policy shift for folks who've been dealing with these restrictions for more than a year. Lawmakers returned to Tallahassee Monday for the start of a one-week special session on gaming that would result in an unprecedented expansion of gambling in the Sunshine State. The Seminole Tribe would be allowed to add craps and roulette to their casinos and would run all sports betting in Florida, including online. In exchange for giving the Seminoles the keys to the gambling kingdom, the state of Florida would get at least $500 million a year over the course of the 30-year agreement. It would also help the paramutuals. More than two dozen existing facilities would be allowed to keep their slot machines and card rooms without having to offer any live races or high lie. There appears to be substantial support for the new Seminole Compact in the Florida legislature, but that may not be the vote that really matters. There is a provision in the state constitution known as Amendment 3 that says Florida voters have the exclusive right to decide whether to authorize casino gambling in the state. John Sawinski of No Casinos was one of the leaders for the campaign on Amendment 3, and he's been fighting this battle since 1994. Sawinski says the new Seminole Compact may be a great deal for the tribe, but it's illegal. 
Well, what's wrong is it conflicts with uh, at least two constitutional amendments that we have in Florida. What they want to do also conflicts with at least two bodies of federal law, the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act and the, the Federal Wire Act. And most importantly, it violates the trust of the people. The people of Florida, by a vote of 72 percent, passed Amendment 3. And what that amendment says is that Florida voters have the exclusive right to approve or not approve casino gambling in this state. Um, and, uh, and, and we think that the words in the Constitution are pretty unequivocal. Um, the, uh, the, the compact as proposed would represent the biggest expansion of gambling in Florida history. I've seen at least one gambling analyst say that Florida would rival only, would be rivaled only by, um, Nevada and Macau, China in terms of how much gambling would be going on in the marketplace. And I don't think that Florida wants to remake itself as the next Las Vegas or Macau. And um, and that's why Florida voters wanted to have the final say on matters. Now, the governor claims they get around this requirement by sort of like routing it through the Seminoles, almost like using them to launder the whole gambling issue because it's going through the tribe. It's not actually in Florida. All the servers will be there. What do you think of that argument? Well, there's a few things wrong with it. Number one, this argument, like the, the entire compact, relies on the illusion that regardless of where someone is, they could be on their iPhone in their home or in downtown Orlando or Jacksonville or Tampa or wherever placing a bet and they're magically teleported to where they're actually gambling on tribal lands. Um, this is an illusion and under federal law, Federal Wire Act holds that gambling or really any transaction that's happening online takes place in two places. It takes place where the person originating the transaction is and where the person receiving the transaction is. It does not occur in one place. It happens in two. And it must be legal in both places in order for that to be a legal transaction. And so we think this is pretty open and shut. The Indian Gaming Regulatory Act also says that these things need to be on tribal lands um, and not operated elsewhere in the state in order to be under the auspices of the Federal Indian Gaming Regulatory Act and the topic of a compact. Also, the other thing that the Federal Indian Gaming Regulatory Act says is that in order for a tribe to have a form of Class Three gambling on tribal lands, that form of gambling must be legal within the state. Um, Compacts are not agreements whereby out of whole cloth states and tribes legalize forms of gambling that are not otherwise legal within the state. Compacts are mechanisms by which tribes, tribes exchange revenue um, where they give revenue to the state in order to have some forms of limited exclusivity. For example, the slot machines, when they were legalized in 2004 in Miami-Dade and Broward Paramutual facilities, that guaranteed tribes the, the opportunity without paying the state a dime to operate slot machines. What the compact said is that the state pledged there would be no more slot machines other than those in Miami-Dade and Broward County paramutuals, and in return, the tribe would make these payments to the state. Is there anything good in this compact? I mean, the, the fact that it's decoupling, we would no longer have like the horse races, the dog races, which will be illegal anyway. Um, I, I guess I'm trying to figure out, is, is there something good that you can see in that compact? Yeah, you know, decoupling could happen without without the compact. And in fact, will probably be subject of a separate bill related to the paramutuals that will be taken up. And the answer to your question, Rick, is no. 
Um, when you look at uh, normally, what normally is good about compacts for people who are not, you know, who, who like us would be concerned about the spread of gambling all over the state is that compacts, when properly structured, can serve as a firewall against the further expansion of gambling. Much like I described, the 2010 one said that you could that it, there couldn't be slot machines other than those ones that were already in the Miami-Dade and, and Broward paramutuals. People who were opposed to the expansion of gambling, like me and a lot of editorial boards and business leaders and others, supported that last compact because it guaranteed that there would not be a proliferation of these forms of gambling all over the state. This compact, on the other hand, guarantees proliferation of gambling all over the state through online betting. Now, one thing that's not talked about a lot in this is that this compact not only legalizes sports betting online and on mobile devices and at paramutual facilities and and on tribal lands, it also requires the state within three years to enter into good faith negotiations with the tribe to allow the tribe to offer all covered games, so any casino game on mobile devices anywhere in Florida. That would turn any cell phone into a slot machine. And if Amendment 3 wasn't designed to give voters a say on that type of proliferation of gambling, then what does it do exactly? And Supreme Court has ruled time and time again that amendments do something. And so this amendment, it's, it's very clear with all the people. Is it, by the way, the compact also, back to your question, it also opens the door to portability of slot machine permits in Miami-Dade and Broward counties. Again, compacts in their best form close doors. They don't open doors. And in this case, that open door is a violation of the slot machine amendment because that amendment limited slot machines to being in inside of, or the words in the Constitution, inside of existing paramutual facilities that existed in 2004. The Fountain Blue and the Trump Doral don't fit that legal requirement. And so, again, the compact opens the door to something that's unconstitutional, that expands gambling, and that's bad for Florida. This has always been a controversial issue in the legislature, and there's usually a lot of opposition, but I don't get the sense that it's there this year. There seems to be just a lot of lawmakers just willing to roll the dice on this. Are you sensing a different mood in Tallahassee? Well, I think what's happened, typically in, in these compact negotiations in the past, you've had the tribe as as maintaining a strong position against different forms of gambling that the paramutuals want. Um, and so the tribe before was not predisposed to a compact that included allowing designated player games to continue. They basically make believe blackjack at paramutual facilities. They did not want a compact that allowed slot machines at different paramutual facilities around the state. Now, Amendment 3 closed the door to those, to those slot machines at paramutuals unless there's a voter referendum to approve them. But what has happened is that the state has taken the posture that, well, we'll get the tribe to accept all of these things that were previously unacceptable, and in return, we will give them this grotesque expansion of gambling, um, both on tribal lands and through the Internet, in order to get a deal done. And so there's not as much of a, of a direct rub because basically it gives a lot of the gambling interests what they wanted. 
there are, to be sure, there are some opponents lining up, but not every paramutual is in love with this idea. So some paramutuals are opposing it. My understanding is that there are others in the sports betting business that see this as a, as a bad deal for them that might not like it. But let's suppose for a second you weren't like me and you, didn't, and, and you actually thought that there should be more gambling in Florida. This deal also is not a great deal from a standpoint of someone in that position because if you look at what we had under the previous compact in 2010, the tribe had slot machines, poker, which everybody has, and blackjack, and blackjack only at a couple of facilities in the state. And in return, the state was getting $350 million a year from the tribe. This, you add to all of that, craps, roulette, basically all casino games on the reservation, all sports betting on the reservation and off the reservation through this this server illusion, and the, the, the probability of full-blown casino e-betting on mobile devices throughout the state, it's exponentially more gambling, and the state is only getting 30% more revenue than the previous deal. Even if you are a fan of having more gambling in the state, from a business deal standpoint, it feels like the state is giving away the farm. And what about the state's image as family-friendly? Does this pretty much throw that out the window? Well, if gambling analysts are saying that we would, we would be rivaled only by, by Las Vegas and Macau, China, in terms of the amount of gambling going on, then yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's redefining. Because the other thing is that the tribe would be able to build three new casino facilities at their South Florida tribal lands. Um, so in theory... That could be a partnership with other casino brands to where it's basically a mini strip, or as I've heard, heard people who are very concerned about it in South Florida call it a casino cluster down there. And um, and so, yeah, that is remaking, and 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 it, it's something that's uh, uh, that's bad. You know, the, it was interesting because in the 1990s, when I first became involved with this issue, the sales pitch being made to Florida was that we had to legalize casinos because. Las Vegas was building uh, rides for kids and marketing itself as a family-friendly destination. And that went out the window. It was a miserable failure for Las Vegas. They're back to what happens in Vegas. Stays. They're back to the to Sin City. <laughs> and, um, and they've doubled down on that, in fact, now. And there was a report done by UNLV, um, their, their, their hospitality school, did a study that basically said that these are two completely incongruent brands, that you can't be both a gambling destination and a family-friendly destination, and that gambling is what they did best and that they should stick to it. Family-friendly is what we do best, and we should stick to it, too. If state lawmakers pass the Seminole Compact next week, Sowinski says it will be challenged in both state and federal court. Back in the early days of the pandemic, when Ron DeSantis ordered restaurants to close their dining rooms and shift to takeout only, the governor's executive order allowed those restaurants to ignore state law and include alcoholic beverages in their meals to go. Now he has signed a bill that makes that exemption permanent. In other words, booze to go is here to stay. This was like an existential crisis uh, for folks in this industry. So one of the things that we did uh, 
people were, were, were less likely to want to come out to restaurants. Uh, we knew that there, that was going to cause a, a lot of problems in terms of their viability. So I said, what can we do to try to deal with this situation in a way uh, that will help them weather this storm? Uh, and so what I did through uh, emergency order was waive state statute to allow those licenses to serve alcoholic beverages within their restaurants to also do it to go. So alcohol to go. Uh, people were, would order food. You could go ahead and deliver uh, the beverages. And this was something that a lot of folks throughout Florida have been able to use. Here at Hooligans, uh, Tim Curtis focused on to-go sales in both food and alcohol, um, which um, actually helped with food orders because if people knew they could do the alcohol to-go, they were more likely to order the food as well. Uh, and so he was able uh, to battle through the storm. Uh, the governor signed the bill at Hooligans in Ormond Beach, where co-owner Tim Curtis says those alcohol sales pretty much saved their bacon. You know, we have our challenges each and every day, and I want to take this opportunity to thank all of my employees for the perseverance showing up to work every single day. And again, throughout the hospitality industry, that is our biggest challenge right now. Governor DeSantis and, and the representatives with their alcohol to go bill at the time when they waived it and gave us the opportunity to sell alcohol to go, that was one of the most challenging times in the restaurant business. When we, when we were shut down from inside service, Governor DeSantis says, you know what, you guys continue your business. Unfortunately, it's going to have to be to go. That first couple of days when that happened, I use our Port Orange store as an example. We were wrapped around the building onto Dunlawton, and I looked at our management team and I said, guys, we've got to figure this out. And we adopted what we call the Chick-fil-A model. Within days, <laughs> within days, we had double drive, we had double drive up lanes. We had eight servers working out of a small to-go room. Our Friday, Friday nights are the busiest night in the restaurant industry where we don't have a seat in the entire restaurant selling alcohol like crazy from four o'clock to nine o'clock are your busiest hours. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you this, we didn't miss a beat. Friday nights, four o'clock to nine o'clock, we, without a single person in our restaurant, we were still doing the same level of sales. God bless my employees for everything they do. God bless the governor and God bless everybody for the hard work, the, again, the aggressive approach that they have to get us back to work and to keep us in business. Officials with the Florida Restaurant Logic Association call that bill a lifeline for restaurants. It doesn't take effect until July, but until then, it's still legal under the governor's executive order. There's another law signed by the governor that could cost the state some business, the one that bans vaccination passports. The CDC has imposed new requirements for cruise ships in U.S. waters that include having 98% of the crew members and 95% of the passengers showing proof of vaccination. But since Florida bans any business from requiring vaccine passports, the CEO of Norwegian Cruise Line says they may have to restart operations outside of Florida waters. DeSantis is already challenging those CDC recommendations in federal court, and he doesn't seem very concerned about the loss of those Norwegian cruise ships. In fact, DeSantis claims it's fake news. This is um, you know, example of, uh, of, of kind of fake narratives. The cruises, cruise lines, the major cruise lines, Norwegian's not one of the bigger ones, by the way. Um, cruise lines have been operating in other parts of the world where there's no access to vaccine, much less the passengers required, uh, and in areas where COVID is more prevalent than it is in the United States right now. Um, and I can tell you, cruise lines are ready, willing, and able uh, to sail from the state of Florida. We are the number one uh, destination uh, for people who want to come and take cruises. Uh, we had a great hearing, I think, by and large, the reports I heard in federal court yesterday. Uh, we, we think that we think we got our points across. We think that the, the judge was receptive. I mean, we'll see, see what happens. Uh, but these cruise lines are ready to go. Royal Caribbean, Carnival, 
they want to go, they're going to be able to do it. And so um, we're ready and we're going to be able to do it. At the same time, uh, you know, our state policy is our state policy. But I can tell you this, if one of the smaller ones says they somehow don't want, that niche will get filled in Florida. The federal government, though, that's the whole idea. We are challenging the CDC's authority to do what they're doing. They mothballed, excuse me, they mothballed the industry for over a year. That was never the intent of anything Congress has ever enacted. That was them exceeding their authority. Now they say you can only sail if you have 98% of the passengers that are vaccinated. And oh, by the way, if you're sunbathing, you have to make sure they're wearing a mask while they're sunbathing. Are you kidding me? That is an absolute farce. And so we're challenging the authority of the CDC to be involved to this extent, particularly at this point. Um, I think it's very pertinent that these cruise lines have been operating for months and months in other parts of the world without uh, this draconian uh, type of um, stuff. And remember, they did a conditional sale order last fall, and, and it was literally the cruise lines could not function if they if they abided by it. And so this is a bureaucracy in D.C. That is, um, that is imposing things that are frustrating the ability. What we want is the cruise lines to be open, and we want them to be able uh, to make decisions about how they're going to um, how they're going to handle a lot of this stuff. That obviously is within the context of a Florida policy that respects the medical privacy of all Floridians. And I can tell you this: what I'll hear is most people don't like the idea that if they show up at a ball game, they got to whip out vaccination records or some things like that. Um, but some say, well, maybe on a cruise, maybe we could do that. It's a little different. Trust me, it will not stop at that. Uh, the minute that they start doing this, they're going to continue to do it. It will expand. Uh, so we did the right thing on that. But no, the, the problem is the CDC. The problem is not uh, Florida. We have uh, a whole bunch of people who are itching to do business in the state of Florida. But for now, the Norwegian cruise ship brands plan to require proof of vaccination for all passengers and crew, at least through the end of October. Looks like Nikki Fried will finally be announcing her run for governor on June 1st. Here's part of a video she dropped on her Twitter feed to promo the announcement. The people of the state of Florida will not be suppressed. Their voices will not be shut down. They will rise up. They will see Ron DeSantis for who he is, an authoritarian dictator. It's becoming clearer and clearer that Ron DeSantis needs to be a one-term governor. We are getting very close to making a decision because the state of Florida and the people that live here deserve so much better than what they are getting. Congressman Charlie Crist is already in the race. Congresswoman Val Demings is still considering a run, so it looks like we're going to have some fun in the Democratic primary. Now, unofficially, DeSantis kicked off his own re-election bid on the Trump-friendly cable network Newsmax Wednesday night with a town hall meeting that was more like an infomercial. Tucked away in that $101 billion budget approved by state lawmakers last month is $30 million for African-American cultural arts in Florida. LaVon Davis chairs the Florida Council on Arts and Culture, and they'll decide who gets the money. I am so thankful to Senator Bracey and Senator Roussan for championing this effort that will celebrate the culture and contribution of African-Americans. As we know that African-American history is also American history. This initiative will assist in creating and constructing historical, educational, and cultural destinations for our state. It will also support funding for renovations of African-American cultural facilities. We are so excited to be a part of this funding initiative where traditionally underserved, under-resourced projects 
buildings, museums, and structures will now thrive. It is well established that diversity is one of the key attributes to the state's vibrant culture and landscape. And through this appropriation, there is renewed dedication and commitment to Florida's African-American cultural projects. So today, history and heritage wins. Senator Randolph Bracey of Orlando says this $30 million fund is the result of conversations with the Senate president over the creation of a new museum to honor victims of the Ocoee Election Day Massacre of 1920. A white mob went on a rampage after a black man tried to vote. More than 50 people died in the violence. The entire black community of Ocoee was forced to flee, and their property was stolen by whites with the help of friendly local officials. This uh, can be an existing museum uh, that just needs some facility upgrades, but it also can be for a startup. So I talked to the Senate president about doing a museum in Ocoee to highlight the, the uh, people of the Ocoee massacre and that, that were uh, killed or maimed or, or victims of that Ocoee massacre. And so that's how this uh, project started by a conversation about that. And we decided to open it up around the state for existing facilities, but, but also uh, new facilities. Davis says the money can also be used to refurbish existing museums, like the home of the founder of the Bethune-Cookman University. For example, Mary McLeod Bethune's home in Daytona Beach, Florida, um, where they have all of her original um, relics and artifacts and writings. This was previously open as a museum, but it needs some um, refurbishment and, and renovation. So off the top of my head, I can see them applying for uh, this grant to fix up this house. This is her original house where people can come in and learn more about Mary McLeod Bethune, her legacy, her writings, her books, you know, her, her personal quarters. Of course, this won't be official until the governor signs the new budget. He could always use his line item veto to eliminate the grant money, but with the election coming up, that's not likely to happen. A Florida man who works as a judge will be getting a reprimand from the state's highest court. Circuit Judge Scott Cup ran afoul of the rules of conduct when he publicly supported a candidate for Hendry County Judge. The Judicial Qualifications Commission says Cup's actions created the appearance that he was attempting to influence the campaign, which is forbidden. The commission says Cup also screwed up by not following proper procedures and filing for his own run for re-election in his seat that came up last year. Cup is a judge in the 20th Judicial Circuit that's made up of Lee, Charlotte, Collier, Glades, and Hendry counties. Your calendar of events is a short one. The Florida Board of Osteopathic Medicine holds an online meeting at 9 o'clock today, and tomorrow is the deadline for lobbying firms to file their financial reports for the first three months of the year. Finally today, if you're annoyed by all the reports about panic buying of gasoline, this may bring a smile to your face. A Florida man's Hummer went up in flames after he filled four five-gallon gas cans in the back of his vehicle, and they caught fire. One person was injured but refused treatment. People have been hoarding fuel because of concerns about a gasoline shortage caused by the hacking of Colonial Pipeline, but Florida actually gets 90% of its supply from ships. There are shortages, but that has more to do with the panic buying than the pipeline. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again Monday as we dive into the special session on gambling and plumb the depths of Florida politics.